Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Today we are wrapping up the series we've been in over the last three weeks called God Never Said That. Uh, It's been a lot of fun together as we've looked at things that God actually never said, but things that people believe that God did actually say. Uh, If you've missed either one of our messages, they're all back on our website, theexchange.cc, and you can listen to the podcast or check out the messages uh, online. Week one, if you weren't here in week one, we tackled the belief that God just wants you to be happy. That above all else, God just wants you to be happy. And we wrestled with that truth to find out that God actually never said that. And so I'll let you go back online and check out what God did really say. Last week, we tackled a pretty hard truth in the reality that a lot of people believe that God would never give you more than you could handle. That God would never give you more than you could handle in life. And we saw last week that actually there are some times where God does allow us to have more than we can handle so that we can begin to learn to depend on him. Uh, But you can go back and check either one of those out. Today we're closing it out with another pretty uh, difficult and serious uh, struggle and belief that many people have. Uh, Maybe it's some things that you believe before. So today's going to be a little bit heavy. I'll go ahead and warn you from the front end. And so because it's going to be heavy, I thought we could start out by doing something a little bit light. All right, fair enough. And so now I'm going to need everybody to participate, okay? If you don't, all right, then we'll bring you up here and you do the hokey pokey by yourself, okay? So we'll just let you choose. But here's, here's what we're going to do together, all right? What I want you to do for just a second is I want you, everybody to take a look at the person on your left, all right? Everybody take a quick look at the person on your left. Everybody got them, okay? Some of you, like, it's the wall, all right? That Don't look at that person, okay? I'll give you somebody, take a look at the person on your right, all right? Everybody stuttle them. Husbands, if that's your wife, be like, hey, baby, how you doing, Okay. Just, just tell her you love her. That's good, because you probably hadn't told her already. All right. Now, just for fun, just to kind of break the uh, flow even more, take a look, people around you, in front of you, behind you, okay? Right in front of you, behind you. If you're brand new to our house, we don't do this every single week, okay? Notice I didn't make you shake anybody's hands. We're not passing any diseases around. But I just want you to really get a good flow, real estate, of those people who are around you. Everybody feel like you got that? Okay. Now, here's what we're going to do together, okay? On the count of three, uh, out of all those people that you kind of surveyed right there, on the count three, I want you to point to the person that looks like the biggest sinner. Okay. All right. Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. Point to them. Okay. Husbands, let me kill you. Don't point to your wife. Don't point to your wife. Okay. We've got some men pointing to themselves. That's called a wise man. That's what that is. That's called a wise man and an honest sinner. That's what that is. All right. Now, you know, the truth is that's, that's kind of awkward, right? And, and new folks, we don't do that every single week, uh, just once a month. Uh, but no, But it's awkward to point at somebody, right, and call them a sinner, is it not? Because, you see, in the Bible, there's something called the unpardonable sin. But what we could say today in our culture, the unpardonable sin is to call somebody else a sinner, to tell somebody else that maybe they're wrong, to tell somebody else what they're doing with their life, maybe against God's plans for their life. And we begin to buy into this misbelief that we're going to dive deeper into today. And here's the platform that we're going to jump off of today is this belief, this misbelief that it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And so many people begin to buy into that belief. Well, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, maybe it's affecting me a little bit, but it doesn't hurt anybody else. And besides, it's none of your business because this is what I do. And so today I want us to take some time to dive into the truth and the reality that God never said that. 
God never said that. Today, I want us to see from Scripture uh, about what God says about our behavior and how it matters, not just now, but it matters ultimately eternally. Now, to tackle this very serious subject, I want to kind of take us back a little bit to reflect. Let's think about Jesus' day um, and the day when the time when Scripture was written. And what would we say is the biggest cultural value of that day? All right, we, we could throw a lot of different things at the board, and I maybe couldn't prove it to you, but I could argue pretty strongly that the biggest cultural value of that day was justice. That it was justice, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that you would suffer the punishment of the consequences for maybe where you did wrong. And we, we could stand on that belief that during that day, the biggest cultural value was justice. Well, what about today? What about 2018 in the world that we live in today? You can make an argument that the biggest cultural value today is tolerance. That we all would stand for tolerance. What's interesting is even the definition of tolerance has massively changed just even over the last decade or so. Um, Tolerance used to mean just that all people are equal, right? That we would view all people as the same, and that would be tolerance. But but now tolerance has even changed and it's gone so far that now we begin to believe, well, that all ideas and all behavior are all equal that they're all the same, that they're all to be accepted. And even the definition of tolerance has changed so much so in our culture today that it's wrong and it's unacceptable to ever say that behavior is wrong, that it's sinful. And so, in fact, culturally, what we've done is we've watered down, we've sanitized even what otherwise would be sinful terms, um, and we've given them more acceptable phrases to help us feel even better. Let me kind of give you some examples of that. Let's just go in the area maybe of sexual sin, the battle for purity. And we could change, we change the way that maybe even we would speak about things. Where instead of saying that you're looking at pornography, now we would, we would rephrase it and we would say, no, that's just adult entertainment. And it softens the blow a little bit, right? Or, or we would say, well, we, we wouldn't use the term and say that somebody committed adultery. We would just say, well, they just had an affair because that doesn't sound quite as harsh, or rather than saying, we would never say that somebody had premarital sex, that they, that they stepped outside of God's design before marriage. But what it says, well, they, were just, they were just fooling around. And, and everybody fools around. You see, we begin to even soften the blow of what God set as really clearly black and white. And we've taken what once was wrong and we've changed the way we describe it. Because in our culture today, um, the unpardonable sin today is to tell somebody that they might be wrong. And so we begin to bind to this belief that it doesn't matter what I do, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, right? But God actually never said that. So what I want us to recognize today is that sin is very real, and it has dramatic earthly consequences and potentially even damning eternal consequences. And so in our time today, um, in, a, in a pretty heavy topic, we're going to talk about three cultural misbeliefs about sin. And we're going to see how God actually never said these things, but we're going to look at what God did actually say, and we're going to see the power of his grace and freedom, even in the midst of a real struggle. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to throw out you three different misconceptions about sin. It's very common that people believe these things. And the first one is this one. Man, so many people buy into this one, and it's this. I'm not a bad person. I'm not really that bad of a person. I mean, if you look at our whole world, like there's clearly some bad people. I mean, just watch the news, okay? There's some really bad people. But for me, I'm not that bad of a person. And we begin to buy into that belief. Now, I want you to see what John would say and what he would argue in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say that we're not a bad person, 
what did John say we do? We deceive ourselves and the truth is what? It's not in us. That we're only fooling ourselves because we begin to believe, well, I'm not that bad of a person. And I think maybe where that comes into play so easily is because we begin to play the comparison game, do we not? We compare ourselves to others, man, it's so easy. Uh, maybe you did that when you were growing up to like try to get out from trouble. And you're like, mom, 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 no, no, I know, I messed up, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, I snuck out of the house, and yeah, I rolled my friend's house, but let me tell you about what so-and-so did, they threw eggs. Isn't that worse? Isn't that worse, mama? Tell me that's worse, tell me my punishment ain't that bad, right? And so we begin to, to, to compare ourselves with other people, and, and because what they did, or what we believe they are, who they are, what they've done, is worse than us, well then clearly we're not as bad as them. But see, the problem in all of that is, they're comparing ourselves to the wrong measuring stick. See, when we begin to compare ourselves not to other broken, sinful, earthly people, but when we compare ourselves up up next to a holy and a righteous God, then we begin to find out the real truth, that most of us are just filthy, dirty sinners. In fact, all of us are filthy, dirty sinners, and nobody can say, well, I'm just not that bad of a person. So I want to kind of throw some questions at you, and we'll have fun for a second. Um, Just by a show of hands, how many of you would admit that you've ever told a lie? Okay. All right, if anybody with their hand not raised, just look at them and go, you're a liar. Like in church, you're a liar, okay? Right, just pointing that out. All right, how many of you would say at any point you've ever stolen something? Piece of gum all the way to a car, okay? We won't measure on what you stole, all right? All right, a lot of you, okay? Pearl PD should have been present in the 10 o'clock gathering today, just saying that, all right? And then how many of you, how many of you have ever hated somebody? Anybody ever hated someone? Hands a little bit slower going up that time, okay, but you're still honest, all right? So, so let's kind of break this down for a second, all right? First, if you have lied, then that makes you what? Makes you a liar, okay? If you have stolen something, then that clearly makes you a what? A thief. Yeah, it does. And Scripture would say that if you've hated someone, that you've actually committed murder towards them in your heart. So if you've hated someone, then that makes you a what? A murderer. So many of you just raised your hands and admitted that you are a lying, thieving murderer. That's what it said. Okay, welcome to the exchange. We're here to help you make you feel so much better about yourself just to kick off your Sunday. All right? That's the truth. We see so many people, man, we want to fight against that belief. We go, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, man, Scripture would say otherwise. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, he says it this way. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. One Sunday during one of my messages, I made reference to the fact that um, I had a, an argument with my wife. I think I called it a heated moment of fellowship because that makes it kind of sound more uh, Christ-like. And I had a guy like the following week and he's like, man, I was so grateful that you told that story last week during your message that like you said you and your wife got in an argument because that, that just helps me realize that like you're just a regular dude too. And I'm like, you don't know how regular I am, bro. 24-7, 365 regular dude, man. Man, there's nobody righteous. Not, not even one. And so the thought that, well, I'm not that bad of a person, it's just not true. It's not true. But see, there's a second cultural misbelief about sin, and it's this. It's very dangerous. It's the belief that all sin is the same. That we're just all, all sin is the same. You're probably going to hear this. Maybe many people would believe it. Well, who are you to judge what I'm doing? What I'm doing is no worse than what you're doing. All sin, it's just all the same. You see, God never said that. Now, what we need to understand is the Bible doesn't teach that all sin is the same. Now, don't miss this. All unforgiven sin does lead to eternal death, period. 
All unforgiven sin does lead to eternal death, but not all sin is the same. In fact, Paul would say this about sin, Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages, the payment, the punishment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, any type of sin, little sin, big sin, seen sin, not seen sin, whatever kind of sin, any type of unforgiven sin leads to death. But the good news of Romans 6.23 is is that our dad's a good dad. And he gives a good gift of grace through Jesus. So all unforgiven sin leads to eternal death, but not all sin is the same. So if you're taking notes, I want to to begin to see some things about how we live and how it influences at least three things. I'm going to give you three things. The first is this. How we live influences consequences on earth. How we live influences consequences on earth. Um, Let's just think about this logically. If you're a blessing to other people, chances are they're probably going to be favorable and a blessing back to you. Um, If you're sinful on earth, what, just like we are, there's consequences that come with that. For example, um, let's say that your workplace starts at 8 o'clock. It's be there at 8 o'clock. That's the rule. And one day you show up and you're there at 8.45. Then a week later you show up and it's 9.45. Okay? Now, Chances are, if this is maybe your first, your second offense, maybe you're going to be punished, you're going to get a talking to, but you're probably going to keep your job. Now, on the other hand, let's say you take $100,000 from your company, all right? Chances are, you ain't keeping the job, and you're probably going to spend a little while in the slammer, okay? Our actions on earth have different consequences, agree? All right? How we live influences our consequences on earth. Second, How we live influences our rewards in heaven. How we live influences our rewards in heaven. We have to recognize that God rewards certain godly behaviors in heaven and there are rewards in heaven eternally for how we live and what we do or what we don't do on earth. Um, Matthew 16, 27 says it this way, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. It's not our works that get us into heaven, but Jesus makes it clear that, man, what you do or what you don't do as you follow me will be rewarded or not. Third, Scripture heavily implies that how we live influences punishment in hell. How we live influences punishment in hell. How we live to some degree or another, obviously we don't fully know, but it impacts, it influences our punishment in hell. Um, Jesus would say this, this way in Luke chapter 20, as he's talking to religious leaders who are acting unjustly. Look at what Jesus says, Luke 20, 47. It says, they devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. These men were taking advantage of the very people that the church was called to love and to serve and to minister to. And apparently they were also praying lengthy prayers, which God didn't really like that form of hypocrisy. And so Jesus says that these men will be punished most severely. In other words, this implies that there might be a less severe punishment for some people and actions, and there might be a more severe punishment for others. Jesus, even as he's standing on his trial in John chapter 19, he speaks these words to Pontius Pilate, John 19, 11. Jesus answered, um, Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
So Jesus, when speaking about Judas, implies there's a lesser sin and there's a greater sin, and Judas was guilty. Then when you look even at the category of sexual sin, as Paul talks about it in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. In other words, there are different types of consequences to this sin than there would be with different ones. And he says sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And then he begs us there in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, man, realize you were created by God and you were paid for with a high price, the blood of Jesus. And so, man, run from sexual sin. You notice that that Paul emphasizes that. All other sins, as as you look at what Paul says, he says, fight this one, resist this one, stand firm against this one. But when it comes to sexual sin, he's like, run, forest, run. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Man, that one affects you in a a more real and personal way, maybe than any other sin. And so God never said it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. No, he says how we live and what we do, it matters on earth and it matters in eternity. And so we've seen two misconceptions. Number one, what? I'm not that bad of a person. We can't argue that that would be true. Or number two, it's the belief that all sin is the same. Now we realize all unforgiven sin, absolutely, all unforgiven sin without the blood of Jesus leads to eternal death. But all sin is not the same. It has different earthly and different eternal consequences. But I want you to see the third misbelief that many people have, and chances are maybe there are some people in the room today who are believing this, and it can be very dangerous, but here's what it is. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. See, there's a lot of us that buy into this, and man, we could jump anywhere along the journey and the thought pattern that so many people have with this. Maybe it's for a teenager or young adult, and the thought is, well, man, I'm no longer a virgin anymore, and so what's it going to hurt to keep doing it? Or somebody might say, well, man, I've tested out the drug before and kind of felt good a little bit, so, I mean, I might as well keep doing it. Or maybe the student would say, man, well, I've cheated before and it helped me some and I didn't get caught, so, I mean, what's it going to hurt to do it again? Or or maybe we would buy into the thought that, like, well, I've looked at that thing or I've flirted with that person online or at work and I was able to even, like, erase my tracks. So what's it going to hurt to keep doing it? And we buy into this belief, this lie from the enemy that, man, I've done it before, and so why shouldn't I just keep doing it? Now, evidently, it wasn't just today that people wrestle with that, but like it dates back to a couple thousand years ago, because Paul in Romans chapter 6, he lays out some pretty incredible truth, and he asked this question. Check out the question that Paul asked, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, look at it. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, hey, if God's like this big, forgiving, merciful God, which we declare that he is, what is it going to hurt to keep on sinning, right? He's going to keep dumping more grace on it. And we begin to believe that. But look, Paul answers his own question in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Paul says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? He says, since Jesus gave his life for us and we've claimed to follow him with our faith, man, how could we live in the old way of who we used to be? 
then how could we live in sin any longer now that the power of Christ is in us? Why would we continue to go back to that thing which hurts the heart of God, which hurts us, and which potentially causes damage and consequences even to those people around us? Paul says, should we go on sinning? Since I've already done it, should I just keep doing it? He says, no, no, no. God has something so much better. God has something so much better. We can't buy into the belief that since I've already done it, well, I might as well just keep on doing it. No, I, I hear this sometimes from, from church people. They say, well, I just want to go deeper. Can we, can we just go deeper? Man, listen, we need to just get a little deeper in the study. I, I like to go deeper. And man, I hear me like I'm, I'm all for, let's go deep, man. Take it deep. Let's go deep. All right. But, but listen to me. I don't want us to get this confused. Spiritual maturity is not about the more we know, but it's about the more that we obey. Spiritual maturity is not about more knowledge, but it's about more fruit of our life. Spiritual maturity is not just how much we understand of the original language and the deeper theologians, but it's how deep the Holy Spirit has gotten in us because if we are in Christ, then he is alive in us and he's changed us daily and we're called to follow and obey him. But the problem with so many Christians in our culture today is that we're educated way beyond our obedience. It's not that we need to know more. It's that we need to apply what we know. And for some of us today, that begins to be so hard. We need to let God take the truth that he has shown us and let it settle in our lives and begin to root out that truth that entangles us and allow it to open up the door to freedom. Well, I've already done it, so I might as well keep on doing it. Can I just tell you today? I mean, it's, it's a tragedy how many people call themselves followers of Jesus, but they continue to walk right back in to the very same sin that marked them before they were in Christ. And they give permission and the keys to the enemy every single day, and they give him keys to something that he doesn't own the keys to anymore. We can't buy into the belief, but we justify it. We say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Man, who are you to judge me? This is my life. I'm an adult now. I can do what I want. Paul says, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? God's not going to give up his grace. But he says, by no means, man, that's not who we are anymore. We're different in Christ. But can I tell you what's so scary? What's so scary is when we continue in sin and we don't even realize it. We continue in sin and maybe somebody throws out the warning flag to us because they love us. and We just keep rolling. See, I can argue today that the most miserable people are not non-Christians. I could argue today that most miserable people are not non-Christians. The most miserable people are Christians who keep living in sin. The most miserable people are those people who know the power and the freedom given through Jesus, but yet they keep living captive. Those can be the most miserable people. Now listen to me today. The last thing I want to do is stand up here and act like I got it all together. Because I don't. And I'm a man who's daily in need of grace, daily in a place of repentance. But I want you to understand something today. If you're not aware of and acknowledging the sin in your life, like over the last 20 minutes, if, man, you're not going, man, there's some things in me that certainly need prayer. If you're not aware of that and you're not willing to acknowledge it consistently before God, all right, then that's a sign of lack of spiritual, immature, spirit, lack of spiritual maturity in your life. 
That's a sign of spiritual immaturity in your own heart. Because I'm just telling you, the closer I get to Jesus, the more he shows the impurity and the things that are not holy in me. The more, the more I walk close to him, the more I begin to find out he shines his light into my life and it begins to reveal things that, that are not Christ-like in me. And, and, it, and it keeps me in a place of repentance. It keeps me in a place of confession. Why? To try to get God to love me? No, he says he can't love me anymore and I believe it. No, but I, I confess to him because I love him. I mean, I don't want to hurt the heart of God. I, wanna, I don't want to disappoint my life or hurt my family or misrepresent the name of Christ and his church. But praise God, Scripture tells me, and I know it to be true, that his power, his grace is greater than the sin in my life. And Scripture would say that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in the heart of the believer. Which means that if you are really in Christ and if you are really growing in him, that the power of Jesus in you is greater than the pull of the world on you. If you'll let it be. If you'll let it be. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the light. And the more you recognize just how much darkness there is in you and how you can't leave it there. Now listen to me. Man, my goal at the end of this, I know this is heavy today. I get it. My goal at the end of this is not to send everybody out at 10 o'clock gathering just feeling horrible and guilty. All right? that's, that's not the goal. I mean, the goal today is that you would recognize that the sin in our life that keeps us from Jesus, but you would let him shine that light into your heart. And that he would begin to expose those things. How many of you have ever seen the, the show Hotel Impossible? Anybody watch the show Hotel Impossible? Cool. Just me and my wife. That's great. All right. So uh, we're awesome. We're really cool people. Got great entertainment. So this guy goes into hotels because I got to set it up. This guy goes into hotels and he just finds all the things that are wrong with him. Like they call him in. And he kind of does this revitalization on him. So he's, it's all the way from the decor of the rooms to like how they manage money to how they interact online with guests, all this stuff. And so he will go into rooms and it appears to be clean on the surface. And then I don't know what kind of like Superman techno light he's got, but like he goes in and he closes the blinds and he pulls out like this infrared light and he puts goggles on and then he begins to shine that light into all the nooks and the crannies in this hotel room. Now, I'm not going to go any deeper because you might not keep your breakfast down. All right. But it is, it just exposes all these dark parts in the room. I mean, I think it's the same way, but with so much love and so much grace as we draw near to God, man, he fires up that infrared light in our life as a good dad. And he begins to show us those things that he goes, man, I want to begin to work on that in your heart. I want to begin to prune those things, not, not so that I can condemn you, but so that you can be more like me, so that you can know the freedom and the joy from walking with me. You see, sin grows, but sin grows best in the dark. It goes best in the dark, but man, when you bring it into the light, when you are confessing it and acknowledging it and aware of it, that's when freedom is born. That's when freedom begins to happen. See, before I came up here today, man, I prayed for you because I can't get in your mind. I can't make you do certain things. But man, I prayed that there might be people in the room today who walked in in a place of living in the dark a place of bondage, whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not. And just, man, that the Holy Spirit, through His power today, that He would just drop this message on you as a college student, as a married couple, as a single individual, and you would realize, man, the joy of walking in freedom in Christ, and you would not allow sin to grow in the dark anymore. See, sin is progressive. 
And I've heard it said that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And it's true. It's true. And maybe for some of you right now, you're going, man, that little thing I got, that little habit, that thing I've been doing for a while, it's not that big of a deal. But man, can I wake you up today? It is that big of a deal. And it's costing you something. It ain't hit my account yet. No, it's costing you intimacy with God. Because the sin of the man's heart and the righteousness and the holiness of God cannot stand together. And God longs to bring freedom. Freedom. Where there is bondage and enslavement because of the sin in your life. You will lose intimacy with God as long as you live in the dark. And suddenly you won't be as sensitive to his voice. And listen to me, this is where it gets really, 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 really dangerous. Because when that sin creeps in and it lives there long enough in the dark and it grows because sin grows in the dark, then it begins to take over and it begins to drown out the voice of God in your life. And check it out. This is what happens, okay? This is where it gets really dangerous because as long as it grows in your heart, the distance, the distance between your sin and your repentance and your confession only continues to grow. But you see, when you're in a place of spiritual maturity and growing in Christ, and you're soft and you're aware, and you're acknowledging the sin in your heart, then all of a sudden the distance between your sin and the distance between your confession and repentance begins to shrink. The difference or the distance between, oh goodness, I messed up, and oh God, I need you, begins to shrink and shrink. Because all of a sudden, Jesus is becoming alive in you and you're soft and you're pliable as we talked about in week one and he's working on your heart and you're confessing sin and he's forgiven because he's a good dad and he's full of grace and he's full of righteousness and then all of a sudden you begin to look and act like Christ not because it's your good but because it's the spirit good in you and that might be the deeper for some of you that you were looking for see we cannot buy into the belief that well it doesn't matter what I do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone sin will mess you up That's the bad news today. The good news, Jesus is a friend of sinners. The good news today is Jesus is a friend of sinners. For you and for me. See, when you see yourself as a sinner, when you don't have trouble acknowledging, man, I got sin, it's taken over, there's different parts of me that it rules. When you begin to see yourself as a sinner, you begin to realize your need for a savior and suddenly you recognize that Jesus didn't come for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick. That's you and me. There's a verse that we touched on last week very briefly. I want to go back and I want to look at it real quick. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Paul says this, don't miss this. First Corinthians 10 13 and God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if, not possibly, he says it's coming. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's what I want somebody to understand today. Man, it doesn't matter what what you're trapped in. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. It doesn't matter how many lies you bought into from the enemy or from your flesh, believing that, man, I'm so deep in it now. There ain't no way out. Listen to me today. Paul said there is a way out, that Jesus is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. He is the way out of sin. He's the truth to set you free and he is the life that will endure forever. 
when you do it his way. And some of you today, the greatest thing that you could do today, the greatest thing that you could do with your July 29th is to step out of what you've been in and to step into what Jesus is offering to you. To step out of the bondage you've been in and to step into Jesus' grace for your life. To step out of the entanglement of that thing that's secret, it's known or maybe it's not known, it's seen or maybe it's not seen. To step out of that thing and to step into the power that God offers for you. To step into His transforming, eternity-altering mercy and grace and love for your life and to drown out that belief, that lie. Well, it doesn't matter what I do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Man, it is costing you something sin cost us, but praise God, Jesus is bigger than our sin. He is bigger than the sin. See, we started today with a verse from 1 John 1, verse 8. I want us to read it again, but I want us to add on one more verse. Look at this. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're all bad people. Number, verse 9, though. If we confess our sins... He, God, He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, from all, don't miss that church, from all unrighteousness. That's how good Jesus is. That's how good He is. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. He's the way out of that sin that is wearing you out. He's the truth that will set you free forever. And he is the life, the only life that will satisfy. So listen to me. When you, when you are tempted again, Paul says not if, but when. When you are tempted, man, you remember that your God is faithful. He is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Whether it's that drink, that drug, the language, that relationship, that anxiety, that fear, that doubt. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But He always provides a way out. He always provides a way out. And His name is Jesus. So when culture tells you, when your friend tells you, when that coworker prompts you, when you read that thing online and the enemy speaks that lie and says, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, as long as it doesn't hurt other people, man, you address that as a satanic lie straight from the pit of hell. And you realize that sin is the greatest enemy to your intimacy with God. And God created you as his kid so that you would know him. And God's desire today is that we would all walk in and go, we're broken. Daddy, give us grace. And he does. And he gives freedom. And he gives mercy and he gives grace because he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life for captive people just like you and me. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.